welcome to On Democracy with F.P. Wellman. I am F.P. Wellman, Fred Wellman, your host. This week's show comes as we celebrate yet another indictment. I believe number four we're on now. It's hard to keep track. I mean, by the time we publish the show, there might be four or five more indictments. Uh, this time, Don brought him along about 18 of his friends for a criminal conspiracy. Uh, we'll talk about what that means and what the polls mean later in the show. But I really want to get to our guest. You know, if you follow our show or watch my hot takes on Midas Touch, you know I've been saying that we are winning. But, but... But we also have to do the hard work to go all the way and defeat this real anti-democratic movement we face. This week, I'm thrilled to have a young man, a soldier in this fight, who has waded in the fight and keeps finding new ways to make the, take the movement forward. Uh, so we're going to talk about Gen Z, activism, gun control, and, you know, in the political landscape we face today. So I'm not going to waste any time. Let's get right to it. Oh, man. Once again, I am Fred Wellman. Welcome to On Democracy, your host of the most here on the Midas Touch Network and everywhere you get your podcast. Hope you'll follow us there. Man, I am so thrilled to have David Hogg joining us today. He's a leader in the fight and gun violence, a Parkland survivor, co-founder of March for Our Lives, and organizers helped lead one of the largest youth movements in our country. Now, he's co-founder of Leaders We Deserve, a new mission aiming to elect more members of Gen Z. David, welcome to the show. It's so good to finally have you in person. Thanks for having me, Fred. I'm, I'm truly honored. I think we've been harassing each other for, on Twitter for a while since since not long after Parkland. It's funny. I, I tell the story often, uh, you know, after you guys, I think you guys went on Ellen DeGeneres and some of those right wing nut jobs who you just love you, <laughs> you know, we're, we're harassing you. And I, I pointed out my own experience with loss and uh, it got crazy for a minute there. And uh, and here we are all these years later, five years later. So it's just been it's been a joy watching you and your and, and the work you've put in. I mean, you are a lightning rod for these guys. And and look, I'm not going to blow smoke up you, but I do. It's, it's you've handled it really well. And and as I as well, one, I've been in that battle a few times myself as an old Lincoln Project guy. And uh, it ain't easy and it takes a chunk of you. So it's it's impressive that you've managed to stay in the fight so you got a new fight new pack launched that's never easy i've launched a couple of packs i've ran a couple of packs everybody thinks it's going to be super easy like hey i'm famous how hard can it be <laughs> um you know so you've got some great press you've built a powerful set of supporters let's start how, how is it going tell me more about leaders we deserve yeah it's gone really great we've had a phenomenal launch week we've raised well over a hundred thousand dollars and nice. i think uh, we're, we're on track to raise several hundred thousand more before the end of the quarter um and you know the thing that's most exciting about that to me is how much of it is just grassroots supporters from around the country. Uh, last I checked, we have donors from pretty much every state. Um, and it's super exciting. We have a lot of monthly supporters as well that are uh, investing in us in the long term that really help make the difference because we need to get to work before election season. Um, and what, for those of you that don't know, Leaders We Deserve is an organization that I started. Uh, with Kevin Lada, Maxwell Frost's campaign manager. Yeah. Maxwell is the first Gen Z member of Congress. Yeah. And the way that this kind of came about uh, is when I was working in March for Our Lives, uh, Maxwell became our first national organizing director. So he was working on the ground with the organization. And, you know, one of his first events uh, that he was organizing with March for Our Lives was after uh, we'd won the Virginia State Legislature uh, and the governor's race, um, we had, you know, all three uh, of the state house and senate and the governor and it enabled us to pass gun laws and the the gun violence prevention groups on the ground in virginia that had been working on it for decades people yep. like Lori haas and many others after virginia tech um had been working on this and you know we had a bunch of students as march for our lives that wanted to go up to virginia uh to or go uh, to their state capital in virginia to demand change uh as they were doing that though a lot of our students mind you, most of whom are, were high schoolers or right. just in, uh, starting college, um, actually started getting a lot of death threats from armed counter protesters um, that were threatening to uh, kill them uh, if they showed up to practice their First Amendment rights of, you know, lobbying government um, and asking, you know, making, making their voice heard. Uh, and of course, a lot of our students were not able to show up originally um, because their parents weren't going to be okay with them being threat, having somebody like a 70, 17 or 16 year old threatened to be killed Jeez. by some armed group. Um, and obviously that's understandable. But what I said to Maxwell when he was talking about all this going down as it was his first uh, organizing event with March for our lives was, I said, you know, 
I know that this is really challenging, but I think what we should do is we should try to get a bunch of college students from around Virginia uh, and like DC to show up in place of these students to go on lobby, knowing that, you know, they aren't as at risk as a younger person. Yeah. And what we can do is instead of showing up that day, what if we went in and slept in one of the state legislators that I knew? What if we slept on, what if you all slept on their floor the night before, got up that morning and lobbied before the Alex Joneses of the world and others showed up and they're like, you're crazy. You know, they were like, that, that's cool, but that's never going to happen. And I said, okay. So we called up one of the state legislators um, who is, you know, personally affected by gun violence. Yeah. And um, he actually, it actually ended up working and I wasn't there for it because I was like, I had been working so hard over the past two years at that point that I had to take a break mentally. Yeah. Um, because I had been just going at it constantly my gap year, but this was when Maxwell really stepped up into that leadership role. And from that, you know, they, they were by no means the only group there, but those young people, I, I think showing up despite the tens of thousands of armed counter protesters showing up outside, showing up and lobbying these state legislators and saying, you need to do this is part of what enabled us to pass those gun laws for the, you know, some of the most uh, gun laws in a decade or more yeah. in Virginia, you know, yeah. laws that will save lives, not just because those young people showed up, but I think in part of it, right. In the first place, because of course I want to give credit to the people that have been doing the work long before Parkland happened, Yeah, you know, uh, doing the work in the Virginia state legislature after Virginia tech um, to help and that, but that's when I got to know Maxwell a couple of years later, Maxwell calls me up and he says, you know, I'm really interested in running for Congress. Uh, and I said, well, you know, you're 24, right? And you can't run. <laughs> and he's like, actually, I'll be 25 by the time I'm elected. And I, I was like, well, I'm glad, I'm glad you figured that out. Did the math. Um, and <laughs> I said, you know, I don't support most people who run for office because I don't trust politicians, but I don't see you as a politician. I see you as a friend. Yeah. Um, and I knew Maxwell also need that support because he's not, you know, um, super well politically connected. Yeah. Uh, and he's not from a super wealthy family by any means. He's, he's an adopted young person. Um, who's been fighting, leading the fight against gun violence since he was 15 years old after Sandy Hook um, when he went to the first national vigil uh, for gun violence prevention when he was 15. Wow. Um, and he asked his parents for that. I think it was for Christmas or something to be able to go up to D.C. <laughs> for that. I helped Maxwell in his race. Every morning I'd be out, I was on his kitchen cabinet. Yep. And every uh, Thursday morning at 9 a.m., I'd be in my dining hall on a Zoom call with my mask on during COVID. Um talking with his team. And I remember when we started out, they were like, okay, we have $5,000 in our bank account. There are probably going to be 10 other people in the race. And there ended up being two former members of Congress, the current, the then current Congresswoman's pastor and a really well-connected state legislator. And I said, I don't care. We're just going to keep going. Right. Yep. So I ended up raising Maxwell $380,000 wow. um, in his first two quarters from people around the country that you know, um, supported him. I shouted him out a lot on social media. Yeah. And from that, he, you know, ended up winning yeah. despite being so young. Uh, he defeated two former members of Congress um, and won to become the first Gen Z elected person, the first member of March for Our Lives elected to Congress. After that, I know this is a long origin story, Fred. No, no, no. That, <laughs> Good story. And, and and Maxwell's done yeoman's work in Congress. I mean, that's the thing. It's it's one thing to get elected, uh, but because of your act, the, the story you just told of activist background, uh, that's why it's also effective, right? It's it's more than just one thing to get there. Look, let's be honest. There's a whole, well, there's a 435 members of Congress. There's a whole lot of people out there just kind of wallpaper, right? I mean, like, on both sides. There's people who, yeah. like you say, you don't trust them. They go up there, their, their job is to kind of disappear, raise money for two years, get reelected every year. And Maxwell has gone a totally different direction. And that is the story you just told of being an activist at 15 and taking that to Congress. And we really need that. So, so you go on from there, you get him in office and start sparking an idea, I imagine, huh? Yeah. So I, I called up Kevin Law to Maxwell's campaign manager yeah. after his election. I said, you know, what we did with Maxwell is really special. I, in the same cycle, I actually uh, raised Val Demings $850,000 yep. as well uh, for her race yep. from people around the country to help defeat NRA Puppet to try to defeat NRA Puppet Marco Rubio. Yep. Um, and unfortunately that didn't succeed, but we did elect Maxwell. Um, and I think that the important precedent that we set there is, you know, I was 22 years old when I did that. Yeah. And the fact that a 22 year old could raise almost a million dollars because an opponent took $3 million from the NRA says a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's still really important and significant. Um, but I talked with Maxwell's campaign manager after, and I said, it'd be re really great if we could do this. So I started talking to him in like January and I was like, first I need to graduate college. We, 
just went forward and we talked to hundreds of people about this before we, you know, launched it to get their advice and how to do it. And now we've uh, just launched this week after months of work, thousands of hours of work, honestly, and so many conversations. Um, We launched the Leaders We Deserve, uh, which is a package super pack focused on electing young people to state legislatures. That's 80% of our work is state legislatures. And what we do is um, we're focused on building the bench of the future in states that have not flipped yet and are not going to flip in the immediate term, like Florida, Texas, Arizona, Georgia, um, and others uh, like North Carolina, where we see this as kind of investing with, by investing in young people, we're kind of investing with time in the market by getting started now. Yeah. Uh, so we work to elect, 80% of our work is electing people in open blue seat primaries in right. lean red states, people that are under the age of 30. Once we get through those primaries, we then go and work on more competitive general elections because, you know, sometimes, you know, it might, it might, it might not be great to have somebody that's representing a district of people that were the median age is, you know, 65, if it's in Florida, for example, and this person's, uh, you know, 21 or 22 years old. Yeah. Um, so we're going to do that. And that's how we help change the power. We hope it will help inspire more young people to turn out and vote up and down the ballot by seeing people who understand the anxiety of what it's like to go through a school shooting like Justin Jones, right? See them in their state legislatures, like Maxwell Frost in Congress, right? To know that they are getting represented. And, you know, uh, so we do that and we'll help elect 15 to 30 uh, of those people to state legislatures in linked red states. And then we'll do one or two members of Congress. And the reason for that is because the worst bills in the country are not coming from Congress, frankly. They are coming from our state legislatures. There are things like don't say gay. There are things like permitless carry. That is the opposite of what responsible gun ownership looks like, right? Uh, they are things like, um, you know, standard ground locks, you know, that are tra- that are not what's helping to keep our country safer. And they're actually endangering a lot of people as a result because of the recklessness that they enable, which yeah. is the opposite, again, of responsible gun ownership. And I say that as somebody who shoots guns competitively and was on the shooting club at my college. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I think if we can help give those young people a voice in their state legislatures, if we can show them that there are people that understand them and hear them, it can help turn out young people to vote. It can inspire them to run from, for office in their state legislatures where they really can make a difference because there isn't the filibuster to deal with there. And importantly, we can start to pass progressive policies in a lot of these states eventually to, to see what we can get through the courts now. So when my generation outlives the Supreme Court, we can say, actually, this is why this is constitutional. Yeah. And that's why I'm really hopeful about this project is we have the most important asset Young people in our country have the two most important assets that you can have in, in politics uh, that cannot be bought, which is the audacity to hope and know that our political system is broken, but it is not unfixable, and time. And the yeah. fact that we're going to outlive a lot of the people who are against us right now. The question is, what are we going to do about that legacy? And that's what Leaders We Deserve is here to do. So. I like it. And I think it's a, it's a noble mission. We talk a lot. Uh, I had David Pepper on the show the other day. Of course, he's a, he's a, co- a colleague. I was he's on great. He's terrific. Um, I actually work with uh, Forgotten Democrats, which is the national version of Blue Ohio and Blue Missouri, which is focused on electing Democrats uh, in those those forgotten places, the hard red states where, they're, they're, you know, I, I think we talk about quite a bit in Forgotten Democrats that 23 Republicans ran unopposed last cycle which is insane to include Paul Gosar and Debbie Lesko in Arizona. Another 126 Republicans didn't even have candidates, uh, opponents that could raise $200,000. And so you you talk about the numbers you were able to raise for Maxwell. Think about that. The average raise for 126 races was just uh, $71,000. And that's, you know, you can't even put up a fight. So it's really, I, I love seeing a new partner join the fight at this important level, at the state legislature level and the, and the, uh, and the, and, and Congress too. And, 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 and so what does that look like? I mean, what are the kind of things you're going to do? Uh, I, you know, vetting candidates, looking for recruiting. I mean, you've got, I, I've yeah. seen your list, you know, recruitment, day-to-day support, you know, as, as you envision this, you got a small team um, and it, it's, it's, you're just starting out. So I'm not going to hold you to anything like that, <laughs> but what's your ambition as far as how you'll help some of these young men and women run for office? Yeah, well, I think part of what we're trying to do is, uh, one, there are a lot of people who have come to us that have not publicly announced yet that they're going to run, right? have said that they're interested in running. Right. So, you know, we, we want to be as strategic with our resources as we can and go after the lowest taking fruit. You know, they're young people that are really passionate and committed to creating change and uh, represent the values of our generation. 
uh, that are running for state legislature in places like Texas and Florida and others, we're, we're going to work to support those young people because we don't, we, we want to be as strategic as we can, uh, and not make things harder on ourselves than they need to be. Yeah. Part of what we're also going to be doing too is work. We work very closely with groups like run for something and Emily's list, yep. um, who we talk pretty extensively with that do amazing work. And quite honestly, Fred have been like the best partners one could ever ask for. Like in this work, they've been so amazing in terms of the advice that they've given us um and uh, the resources that they've offered to us to you know just help us become the best organization that we can be yeah um and a lot of what they do is you know the candidate uh training side of things so luckily we don't need to like reinvent the wheel right i think part of what we can do is work with those groups to say you know we have these amazing candidates and they're going to help what we work on specifically though is for those candidates that have been trained or have been in elected office before and know how to run uh is helping give them the right advice that they need early on to get started, you know, like saying, you know, how to be strategic about which endorsements you take or which ones, you know, you don't and understanding like how to do that because in a lot of these races, it can, uh, every district is different. And for these young people, it's like drinking from a fire hose when they're running. Yeah. Uh, We'll also help on getting them the right staffing to make sure that they have like good campaign managers, good, uh, staff, because a lot of these state legislative races are not like a congressional where there's a ton of people, but, you know, with the, with the funding and support that we want to come in with, like we really want to plug them in and support them. And part of what that looks like is obviously like as a PAC, we'll be helping support these candidates financially. We'll also have a super PAC as well that helps to spend like on the independent expenditure side um, too in, in different ways uh, and coming in, you know, later on in those campaigns to support them as they start to get closer to the finish line. Yep. Um, and with that too, just plugging them, giving them a bigger platform. I think that's part of what I'm trying to do as well uh, with my, you know, following on Twitter and, and everything to try to uplift these candidates so that people know it's, you know, the gun violence prevention movement is much bigger than just Maxwell Frost, David Hogg, Justin Jones, um, Emma Gonzalez and, and others. It's there's thousands, there are hundreds at least of people, young people around the country that are the movement, right. And giving them a bigger platform because I think, historically, frankly, I think liberals have been very emotional investors in change. I think we wait for an Obama like figure uh, to be very charismatic and come along and save us. Um, And he of course was amazing, but the reality is one person can only do so much. And the real way that change is made in the long term, And I know this from studying the history of the Republican party is investing every year for decades on end at every level of government and continuously getting better. It's like investing, you know, if, if liberals were investing and trying and conservatives were investing in the market, liberals would be emotional investors that are trying to time the market every two years with whatever they think the, the sexiest and newest thing is. Whereas conservatives have played the S and P 500 of change for 50 years now. Yep. And we're now seeing the results of that. And that's kind of what we're trying to reverse engineer here is to invest in the next generation with time in the market. And the, the important thing too that we need for that Fred is like we got to get started early way before election season to recruit you know help find these candidates yeah call them up and ask them to run if they aren't already right um but also to support their campaigns early on you know the reason why emily's list is called emily's list is because it's an acronym it means early money is like yeast hmm. because it's it helps these campaigns grow so much quicker and i think that was really critical for maxwell's campaign that i didn't realize about these races before uh, i worked on on his race was how critical early money is in these, because if you get a lot of money early on, you know, there, there are 435 congressional races around the country. There are thousands of state legislature races around the country, even more municipal and local elections around the country. Organizations cannot pull each one of those races and say, you know, how much does this can, is this candidate like by this person or whatever they, what they look at is how much they've raised. And for young people, a major obstacle though that they have, frankly, is not having the funding network that they need to be able to succeed. But I think that's really important. And it's not to say we just, we should just elect somebody because they're young. It's because they are first qualified and have the experience that we need represented in office in the first place. Right. And the fact that they are young is really helpful in that. If we look like at a president, like president Biden, who was elected when he was first 29 years old, the reason why he's become so effective is because he's been around forever. Yep. And he knows everyone. That's he knows how to make things happen. I love that. I'm gonna. And I'm gonna. I'm gonna, starting I'm gonna pause you right there. I want to pause you real quick. Let some sponsors in because I want to pick that thread right back up. <laughs> so just grab grab a moment. To some of our sponsors have a couple of things, and we'll come on right back to that point. Trees are a renewable resource, but you know, not an unlimited resource. I mean, honestly, trees don't actually grow on trees, right? So everyday companies are clear cutting force just to produce 
toilet paper. Trees and wood are amazing resources, but doesn't make sense to use them for a product we only use once and flush away. You know, those trees deserve better. That's why Real Paper uses bamboo to make their sustainable toilet paper. Not only does bamboo grow incredibly fast, you know, because it, it's a grass, it can be cut, harvested over and over again, just like the grass in your lawn. So when you use Real, it doesn't feel like you're sacrificing trees or you know, look, I'm a tree hugger. I'm, I admit it freely. If you guys follow me, you know I hike every day. I'm out in the woods. And to know we're cutting down these beautiful trees for toilet paper, it just doesn't make sense. So real in a lot of ways feels like an upgrade to me for my heart. It's always shipped free to my door. It's plastic-free shipping packaging. Again, it can schedule it. I can schedule it right on my right on the line. Subscription goes exactly where I need it, when I need it. I never have to worry about forgetting to buy anything at the store. Real is partnered with One Tree Planted. So with every box of Real that you buy, they're funding like reforestation efforts. And if you've ever hiked in one of those places where they're putting new trees in, it's beautiful to see. And it needs money. So unlike other TP that cuts down trees, Real is actively helping organizations to replant our forest and to grow our trees back. So look, Real Paper is available in easy, hassle-free subscriptions for an online purchase or a one-time purchase on their website. All orders are conveniently delivered to your doorstep with free shipping, 100% recyclable, plastic-free packaging. So if you head to Real Paper, I want you to go to realpaper.com slash Fred. You sign up for subscription using my code Fred. You're going to get 30% off your first order and free shipping. So that's real paper, R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R.com slash Fred or enter promo code Fred to get that 30% off your first order and free shipping. So let's make a change for good this year, right? Switch to real paper, real is paper for the planet, and we're thrilled to have them a sponsor for this show. Nowadays, when I drink alcohol, I don't bounce back the next day like I used to. So a lot of the time, I'll be the only person in the group not drinking, or I just end up skipping plans of friends altogether. That is until I discovered Z-Biotics. Now, Z-Biotics Pre-Alcohol Probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. So here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Z-Biotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut, where you need it most. Now, just remember to drink Z-Biotics before drinking alcohol, drink responsibly, and then get a good night's sleep to feel your best tomorrow. The first time I tried Z-Biotics was I was heading out to a night out and a great concert all night long. As instructed, I drank a bottle of Z-Biotics before any alcohol, and I was amazed at how good I felt the next day. Every time I have a Z-Biotics before drinking, it makes such a difference the next day. I mean, even after nice uh, drinks the night before, I, I know I'll be able to get back to my daily routine. You know, like you guys know about my three-mile daily walk or, you know, just hitting my garden with ease. Give Z-Biotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com slash Fred to get 15% off your first order when you use code Fred at checkout. Z-Biotics is back with a 100% money-back guarantee. So if you're not satisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, it's simple. Just head to zbiotics.com slash Fred. Use the code Fred at checkout for 15% off. And I got to say, thank you, Z-Biotics, for sponsoring our great episode. Okay, back at you. I love that point. And, and you said something so key as we broke, as I, I interrupted you, is you're right. that And people forget that everybody talks about how, where Biden is at 80, um, but where he started was 29. Uh, and, and the reason he understands Washington, understands politics is because a lifetime of experience and, 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 and real experience uh, like your guys. And so, you know, we had a, a, a lady on the show the other day, a wonderful elected official, um, named, uh, Crystal Quaid, who is the minority house leader here in, in, uh, Missouri. She got into office in her early thirties and, and only her second year in office decided to be run for minority floor leader of the, <laughs> cause her term limits here in Missouri. So here she is a, essentially a kid is running the party and has done a brilliant job. And now she's running for governor, not yet 40. So I, I, I think you're, you're dead on and, and you're, and you're right. But I guess the question that becomes is, so, you know, you've got an activist generation that you're, you're tapping into. You've got young people who are tapping into that. You know, is that what's driving you to find these candidates? Is that what's driving them into office at this point? I mean, you're at your group, your generation is super activist. Um, what drives all that you think? Well, I, I think Frank, obviously I think the first thing that drove that was Donald Trump. In some ways he was the worst and best thing to ever happen to our generation. Yeah. Um, and that he woke us up to 
the dangers of apathy and democracy yeah. um, and just assuming somebody was going to win. I think for a lot of people, um, of course I couldn't vote in the 2016 election cause right. I wasn't old enough yet. Um, but I think for our generation, why part of the reason I'm doing this project is so far we've been very much about we've, the strategy that we've used to turn on people is tapping into the anger and the righteous indignation that our generation feels at, you know, the fact that our schoolhouses are slaughterhouses, yeah. that our planet is becoming uninhabitable increasingly every day. Um, but it's not enough just to be against something. That is not what leadership looks like. That is not how change is made. That is the easy part. Yep. Anybody can be against something, right? Well, what we're trying to do here, I think, is show young people that it's not just Donald Trump, it's Ron DeSantis. You know, it's, it's Greg Abbott. It's these insane right-wing, far-right leaders um, that are in our, have been enabled by a corrupt political system where, frankly, uh, you know, it's increasingly looking less and less like a democracy yeah. because of things like gerrymandering, yeah. where we have a system. Take a state like Florida. People always say, well, that, that state's gone. It's gone so red. Um, but the reality is Florida continuously passes progressive ballot measures. Yep. We've passed a $15 minimum wage. And these have to be passed not by like 50%. From what I could recall, it's like 60% yeah. that they have to be passed by. So our state voted for that. Our state also voted to give uh, people their right to vote back that had been formerly incarcerated right. from nonviolent convictions, right? We've also done all these other things. But what happens every time is the state legislature, after those ballot initiatives are passed, are like, we don't care, actually, and we're just going to invalidate them. So what happens over and over is our state is a progressive state. We have been gerry progressives have been gerrymandered out of power. Yep. Right. I think that is the single biggest problem. What happened in 2010 is, is Obama had been elected in 2008. And then in 2010, there was a massive red wave that happened during a census year that enabled them to gerrymander their way to power that lasts to this day. Yeah. Right. And we've been yep. living with the consequences of that ever since. And that's why we have a system where yes, we can vote in our country, but what does that, how, how much does that really matter in terms of the power that we have if we have a system where voters, where politicians are picking their voters and voters aren't able to pick their politicians because of the way that they draw these, these congressional districts and the, the lines for a lot of these state legislative seats. Yep. It's an incredibly corrupt system that is extraordinarily harmful to our democracy and the health of our nation because most of the people, just look at gun violence, most people support stronger gun laws, whether it's universal background checks, Streamers protection orders or something like that. Yeah. But the reality is the reason why we can't get that passed is the filibuster wants a grand, an anti-democratic thing that is not even in our constitution that subverts not just the simple majority will of the American people, but the vast majority will of the American people. We're yeah. talking like 80 plus percent here that is being blocked by a tiny percentage yep. of people in this country. And what gives me hope with this uh, is that our generation is changing from being against something to being for something. Okay. And just, you know, last year around this time, we passed the Inflation Reduction Act, yep. the largest climate spending in, in American history, right? We passed the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, the first gun law in 30 years. We passed hundreds of gun laws at the state level as well. We are increasingly for something, and young people have continued turning out at the highest rates in American history. And it's not just 50-50, right? We could have 100% use. This is one thing that always bothers me is, you know, people always say, well, young people just need to vote more. But that's, it's not that simple. If we just voted more in 2000, for example, 18 to 29 year olds voted 50-50 for Bush and Gore. It doesn't matter if you had 100% turnout, if that's the case, if they're just canceling out their votes. But what's important now is young people are voting at the highest rates in American history in the past three elections. And they're not just voting 50-50. They're voting extremely for disproportionately for yep. progressives. Yep. And that's what can supercharge our generation. But what scares me is if we don't get the representation as a generation that we deserve, and frankly, that we need of people that understand that anxiety of not knowing what it's like to survive math class, I fear that we are not going to continue turning out as a generation. And when that comes after us, we'll not continue, continue the historic legacy of young people not turning out because they just give up. And that's yeah. what Republicans need. Right. They need people to think that our country is an extremely conservative country, and that's why we get these laws passed. When the reality is they've gerrymandered their way to power. They've created a corrupt system where they cheated their way to creating, making our country this way in the first place. Yeah. And what we have to show our generation is, no, the vast majority of people actually do support stronger gun laws, do support action on climate. It's because of the corrupt political system 
that we have that's broken, but not unfixable that we've remained in this place. But what they need more than anything, more than even more than that system for us, uh, for them to succeed and promote this extremely far right agenda that is harming our children in their schools, turning our schoolhouses into slaughterhouses, turning our communities into anarchy is hope. They need us to believe that they need us to believe that we can't change anything. They need us to believe that nothing can be done about this and stamp out any amount of hope. And they know that the most dangerous thing for them is the belief that change is possible. Yep. I, so we can't give up. And, I, and the change is coming. I mean, I, uh, uh, Selinda Lake had a piece in the Washington Post just a couple of weeks ago, um, just as you were launching, talking about how this election will be different than the last time, uh, you know, last election and certainly 2016 because of the fact that Gen Z is entering the entering the you know voter registration rolls at num- numbers double the boomers leaving. In other words, you're outpacing them by double now because as the boomers pass. And, and and another thing she did, I saw I was in a, sitting in a meeting the other day with the polls. Nationally, Gen Z voters are extremely educated, more likely to be women. And more like identify as people of color. They're the least religious generation in American history, where boomers are 72% white versus 28% POC. Your generation, David, is 52% white versus 48% POC and growing. In other words, this is the most diverse, the most heavily female, most active generation we've seen in a century, right? And you're right. It, 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 the danger is the the loss of hope, right? And this is one of the things I do a lot on the show, and, and, and people follow my videos and my stuff. I talk a lot about exactly, hey, we can't lose hope. Um, I'm an old soldier, as you know. My background, I was a, I was a veteran. I'm a veteran, combat veteran, and uh, I've been to war and I've studied war my whole life. Went to West Point uh, for my undergrad, and I, it, those moments. Somebody pointed out on Twitter the other day to me, 1864, literally. Lincoln almost didn't get reelected. <laughs> you know, McClellan ran against him, you know, uh, because people had lost hope we could win the war. And a year later, we won the war. So it does always look bleak, but you're right. The, the danger is believing we won't win. The danger is not seeing people like you and others who are able of stepping up. And then, frankly, succeeding when they do, which is why I think I circle back to what we talked about earlier with Maxwell, not just getting elected. I think you're right. It's not just being elected. It's not just electing a person of the generation. It's also electing somebody who's going to do something when they get there, right? It's not enough to get you there, but if you don't do something when you're there and that that goes, so I'm, I'm gratified to hear you say, yeah, it's not enough just to be young. I was involved in an organization that they believed, and I won't name them, <laughs> they believed that all we had to do was elect veterans <clears throat> and veterans being in Congress would cause bipartisanship because that's how it used to be in the old day. They literally believed because in the 70s and 60s, all these World War II veterans all worked together like Tip O'Neill uh, and others, that that would happen magically again if we put veterans back in Congress. And what they found out instead was Dan Crenshaw's Eli Lake, <laughs> we put a bunch of right-wing nutjobs in there and it hasn't changed a thing. So it's, it's, it is important, you're right. You see Gen Zers who are not just capable and the right generation, but also capable of making an impact once they get there. I think that'll be one of your big challenges always. Um, you know, you've, you, it's been five years since the violence of Parkland. It propelled you on the national stage at a young age. You've been in the spotlight since. You keep diving back in. Um, you keep taking. You take the shots in the chin. I see. I see you get beat up daily, and every time you say anything, it's like you know, I, I, I've been in those shoes before. You know what drives? What you you do keep getting up. You keep, you get up again. What drives you to keep getting up again, David? I mean, honestly, not beyond all the work. I mean, you know, you take the punches. I know. I'm sure it's got to take a, take a piece out of you. What what gets you up every day to keep back in this fight? Well, I think it's that I've gone through a baptism by fire. So yeah, it's kind literally. of like my natural environment. Like, yeah. you know, like it's, I feel like it's a little bit like asking like, how does a cactus grow in a desert? Like, it's just how it's always been. Right. Yeah. Like, that's just like, you know, like where you yeah, are, it's right? a challenging. <laughs> it's where you are. Huh? It's where you are. Yeah. You just make do with what you have in the environment that you're in and you make do with the resources that are available to you. And I think a couple of key things to that have been, uh, one, uh, having a really great family around me, my sister, my parents, um, my dad's a veteran too. Um, and just having them around me, great friends, uh, my girlfriend as well, um, that all support me and not, you know, not taking, not frankly, like not giving a shit about what other people think that I don't know a lot of the time. And knowing that, you know, the people, if the people are criticizing you who have enabled this system to, uh, you know, to continue for 30 years where they say, you know, we just need, we should only be talking about universal background checks. We need to be more moderate on this issue and kids continue to get slaughtered in schools. I think it's frankly fucking time to change it up and stop listening to the people who act like they know what they're talking about. Cause on this issue, it's clear if they did, I wouldn't be talking to you right now, Fred. There you go. Um, 
And I don't mean to be that disrespectful. There are great veterans of the gun violence prevention movement, but I'm talking about like political leaders that think that we need to be moderate on this issue. Nobody is voting for a Democrat because they want their AR-15 to be protected, frankly. Yep. It's not happening. Um, And, but that's also not to say we're not coming to take your guns or any, you know, there's this whole conspiracy out there. Like I'm literally part of the shooting club. I, at my, I was at my college. I continue to shoot guns regularly. Yep. I like, I'm not, first of all, I don't even know how that would logistically happen, but moving on beyond that point. Right. The other thing is talking with people who don't agree with me, mm-hmm. um, has been the most helpful. Um, okay. I get a lot of horrible messages as you can imagine my DMS on Twitter back oh, yeah. when like people could message me who weren't verified because Twitter changed that. Yeah. But um, just horrible messages. And I actually started, you know, I started responding to them and I just started saying like, like, you know, you might've just called me, you know, an expletive that's so bad or some insult that I can't even repeat it on here. Um, but you know, I can respect that you don't agree with me, but I can't accept the fact that, you know, neither of us wants gun violence to continue and you know, that we can't find anything to agree on. And then, you know, they try to continue to argue with me and you know, sometimes they try to debate me. And I say, okay, is there literally anything I could tell you that would change your mind? And most of the time they say no. And I'm like, okay, well, it's not worth wasting my time trying to debate you because I don't think that's productive right. in the first place. You know, I, I think we spent 30 years debating this issue and right. that's what's gotten us here. Right. And instead, how about we focus on what we can agree on? And then, you know, I talk about like, you know, there's this binary concept that the media has a lot of the time that, that, that you're either for only stronger gun laws or you're only for talking about like addressing uh, mental health or why somebody pulls the trigger. Right. And I think the mental health aspect is an important one to address with caveat that like people who are mentally ill are far more likely to be the, a danger to themselves or to others. Yep. Two thirds, two thirds Fred, of guns, gun deaths are suicides. Yep. A predominantly older white men with yep. easy access to guns in rural and suburban parts of the United States. Yep. Number one killer of veterans is gun, gun suicide. And I think we need to fund more mental health programs to help stop that more educational programs for gun owners so that they know, you know, if, if they have a friend that's gone through a really bad breakup um, or lost their job or a divorce, you know, they can talk to them and say, Hey, like, I know you're having a really hard time. Like, you know, would you like me to babysit your gun for a while? Yep. You know, just so that they don't have that easy access a lot of the time. And obviously that's a tough conversation to have, but it's better than giving a eulogy. Yep. Yep. Um, and you know, I've seen that with different people, you know, that I know that own guns that have done that before. Yep. Um, and I think it's it's important to normalize that in a lot of like the gun culture that like it doesn't have to be the state that's like talking about it that much. It can be other gun owners that are looking out for each other yep. and taking care of each other, right? Um, friends and family. Uh, and anyway, so I talk to them about that and I say, well, what about funding more mental health programs for the Jews against gun death or suicide? And they're like, yeah, I agree with that. I was like, cool, but well, you agree with me. And then we, you know, we find some other common ground. Like, do you think somebody who threatens to shoot up a high school multiple times with an AR-15, like the shooter of my high school is a 19 year old that threatened to shoot at my, my school multiple times should be able to legally own that gun. And they say, no, I said, well, Great. Then you agree with me because we're, we want to pass laws that would enable that person to be disarmed with a court order and a right to due process, right? Somebody who threatens to shoot up a high school, I, I'm sorry, I don't care how second amendment you are. If you threaten to shoot up a high school, you should not be able to have a fucking gun. Doesn't seem hard to me. It seems yeah. common sense. And it's funny how when you say it that way, you say, well, you know, they've made threats. They want to kill people. We should, we should probably secure their guns. Oh yeah, I agree. You say, okay, good. Red flag law. What? No, I'm against red flag law. No, you're not. <laughs> and, and it is, yeah. that, it, that's the challenge, right? A lot of times it's the communications. We have to communicate better sometimes, right? We, 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 the, our, our opponents right. have gotten very good at making words bad. CRT, right? Red flag, you know, gun, you know, I, I think you're, I think that's a place. Oh, before I go further, uh, I'm getting, so let's, let's do one more sponsor break. And I want to pick this conversation back up on your side. I don't know if you're like me, but the pain of trying to find what to wear is killing me. Most clothes are uncomfortable, never the actual size that I really am. And not to mention how much time is wasted for me trying to find a good outfit. So when you do have a good fit, you can only wear it for a few hours where you have to go to a meeting or a dinner date and you have to change. Everyone wants to dress their best and look good at all times because frankly, it's a confidence booster. Men are no different. Men's closets are due for radical reinvention and Roan stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible set of products known to man. And here's why. 
Rowan helps you get ready for any occasion, from work to hang out at a local brewery. Their collection offers the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, and polos. You never have to worry about what to wear when you have the Rowan Commuter Collection. Now, Rowan's comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability, flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy what life throws your way from your commute to work or, you know, walk into the box seats of the Cardinals game. With gold fusion anti-odor technology, you'll smelling fresh, clean all day long. On top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable. Because I don't know about y'all, I live alone, I got to wash my own darn clothes. So you can dish go in the dry cleaner. I love the Roan commuter collection for my lifestyle and fashion choice. Now, look, I'm on the move a lot. Whether it's jumping from meeting to meeting or heading to meet friends or, you know, catching a flight to go somewhere like I am this week. The Roan commuter collection has never let me down. Even after I wear it all day, I feel super fresh because that gold fusion anti-odor technology. So the commuter collection can get you through any working day straight into whatever comes next. Now, here's what I want you to do. Head to roan.com slash Fred. Use promo code Fred to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com slash Fred. And use that code Fred. It's time to find your, you know, when you check out. It's time to find your corner offers comfort and Rowan offers the best. Do you know your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold like I do often, I really recommend you try out Miracle Made Sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver infused fabrics and makes temperature regulating bedding so you can sleep the perfect temperature all night long. Now that silver infused fabric means that Miracle Made Sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long so you get a better night's sleep. And I can tell you, honestly, I have. Now, the silver fusion technology also adds an extra benefit. It means the sheets prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them cleaner and fresher three times longer than normal sheets. There's no more gross odors from your sheets. You don't have to worry about any problems with bacteria. They just last longer. Now, I've been sleeping with these sheets, and they're seriously comfortable without a high price tag of other luxury brands. And they feel as nice, if not nicer, than the bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. Stop sleeping on bacteria. <laughs> bacteria clogs your pores, causes breakouts and acne, a whole bunch of problems. Sleep better, sleep clean with Miracle. Now, go try Miracle.com slash Fred. That's go to trymiracle.com slash Fred to try Miracle Made Sheets today. Whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use that promo code FRED at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle Made is so confident in their product, it's back with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So, if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Now, upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash FRED and use the code FRED to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash Fred. Treat yourself. I love the products. I've been using them myself and sleeping like a baby. As you know, I have a big family, and that means there's usually a lot of garbage left over by the end of the week. And frankly, I used to feel really guilty about it. But then I got a Lomi. Now that I have a Lomi, it's changed the way I think about my food waste. Lomi transforms my garbage into gold, the push of a button. Lomi is a countertop electronic composter that turns food scraps into dirt in under four hours. Now I love composting. <laughs> Plus, it's made cooking at home even more fun. There's no food wrong in my garbage smelling up the kitchen. Thanks to Lomi, I only have to take out the trash like once a week, and it's hassle-free, mess-free, no more leaking bags. So here's something cool, too. I turn my waste into nutrient-rich dirt that I can feed to my plants, my lawn, and my big garden in my backyard. That means it's not going to landfills and producing methane gas. I get to help the environment, and that makes my life easier. All my food scraps, plant clippings, and even those leftovers I forgot in the back of the fridge go back into my garden, help me grow more nutritious food right in my backyard. I learned recently that food waste makes up a huge portion of our personal carbon footprint. So by reducing the amount of food I send to the landfill, I'm helping to do my part for the planet while also feeding my garden. So. Whether you want to start making a positive environmental impact or just grow a beautiful garden like mine, Lomi is perfect for you. So head to Lomi.com slash Fred and use the promo code Fred to get $50 off your Lomi. That's $50 off when you head to Lomi.com slash Fred and use promo code Fred at checkout. Thank you, Lomi, for sponsoring this episode of the show. Thanks for that break. So 
Uh, man, we have great sponsors, by the way, David. I appreciate <laughs> your patience. Um, yeah, I mean, that, uh, these conversations have to occur, and our common language has been poisoned, hasn't it? A lot of ways. I know you've seen this on your day. You know, the, 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 our, our opponents are very good at creating words and making our making words that are common sense uh, into bad. I, I think you tweeted the other day about defining woke. You know, Ron DeSantis and his war on woke is a perfect example. What the, what the hell is woke, right? Uh, uh, these these bad words get in the way of us actually having policy change in a lot of ways. Um, I know you live that every day. Yeah. And I, you know, I think the, to answer like the question that you, like you just asked as well, like ultimately what I, what I'm getting at when I talk about talking with people who don't agree with me is that I've learned how to turn hatred into hope. And I don't see, I don't see the people who have talked with, who yell at me and scream at me and say all these things about me. So, so much as people that hate me, although objectively many of them do (laughs) as much as I see them as people that have not had the chance to talk with me yet in the first place. Um, cause 90, 95% of the time, if, if, uh, those people continue talking to me that say those awful things, they end up apologizing. Yeah. Yep. I had, yeah. that. I've had similar experiences. I've had people say, okay, talk to me. Why, why'd you just say that? Did you really just call me that name based on what? So <laughs> right. It's, so much of it is just frankly a grift by like the leaders on the far right there that like want to rally their base and demonize people like me yeah. to make more money for themselves because, and I know this because I've talked to them and I, like I've messaged them on Twitter before and I've said, you know, what, why are you doing this? And I'm like, I think we can probably agree to a couple of things and they actually agree with me, yeah. but then they don't, they continue saying all this crazy shit because they know it's good for their base It makes them more money and they want more volume. Yeah, Tim Miller uh, was a guest on the show. If you know Tim Miller, he used to be RNC spokesman. His book, you know, uh, the, the why we did it, um, talks a lot about that. The 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 arc of the propaganda machine and the and the grift machine, where that that anger that that coaxing coaxing that anger out of their followers um, is now it's gone beyond dopamine. Now it's a financial. There's a financial windfall to be involved in that windfall, uh, and and it's not easy being the far side of it. I think I'll, I think the last thing I'll like to talk about is like is and then I'll let you go. You know, you you grew up in Florida. You you struggled in Florida politics. I think is what's driving you here into this thing. You know, you see DeSantis out here. He seems to be flaming out. I'll be talking about that after you depart. Um, the numbers are just tr- falling apart. I, I do. You, I guess. I, I guess that's sort of inevitable. I think I talked to so many people who who lived in Florida or, or watched his arc, and very few are actually surprised by him flaming out because of the fact that he's he's built, like you said, you, he's built a gerrymandered legislature to rubber stamp a lot of his stuff. Um, is is there hope in the flame out? Do you see hope in the flame out of Ron DeSantis? Is that the wrong question? If I, if it's the wrong question, tell me I'm crazy. Um, I think that there can be hope, but I think it's important to note that the reason why he, you know, I've talked with a lot of people in pollsters about why this has happened. Yeah. Um, just in general conversation. And I think one of the most important points that I've heard is that the reason why Ron DeSantis has, has flamed out in the way that he has is because he's trying to be Trump, but he doesn't have the economic message. Mm-hmm. That is what Trump had that DeSantis does not. It goes much beyond culture. It's not just culture wars. Yeah. What enabled Trump was an economic populist message yeah. that resonated a lot with a country that has been massively the middle where the middle class has been gutted, yep. frankly. Yep. Um, since the 1980s in the time of, you know, supposed trickle down economics. I agree. And uh, you know, basically what they need to do, what the most powerful people in our country need to do, like the rich elites, frankly. Uh, is they need to divide poor people against each other yep. and say it's that immigrant that's going and taking your job instead of talking about that the fact that you know this this free trade policy actually is what moved millions of those jobs overseas or it's automation you know and the creation of all these robots that are taking human jobs that are the reason why a lot of those union jobs have left yep. right uh, and they need people to be divided against each other so that they don't point the finger, they point the finger sideways instead of upwards yep. at the people that are actually benefiting most from our division. Um, and the fact that we live in a country that frankly does have socialism, it's just for the 1%, <laughs> Yep. you know, where essentially we subsidize the hell out of a lot of these corporations around the country to make their shareholders more wealthy, where they buy back stocks to artificially inflate, you know, the stock price a lot of the time to help their board, to help all these other people. And what happens is when they, when they do risky things like the subprime mortgage crisis, all of a sudden we as the taxpayers have to come and fucking save them from a system that they destroyed and continuously benefit from, but face none of the consequences of in the first place. 
And I think that is part of the reason why we're seeing this constant emphasis on fucking, sorry for my cussing, but like, uh, no problem. You know, <laughs> cultural wars. Yeah. You know, like, right. State Farm, I think it was, and, and these other insurers just pulled out of Florida right before hurricanes, hurricane season yep. started. Right. I don't, frankly, we shouldn't be talking about something that kids aren't learning in their schools when we should be talking about the fact that their homes are, could be destroyed and not be able to be rebuilt because they don't have home insurance. Yeah, do you already see, do you see in Maui? The threat of climate change. And in Maui, where the fires occurred, the big strike, it's only been less than a week since the fire. And you know what the big story come out is? Developers are coming in trying to buy the burned down properties already. People haven't even gotten access to their houses yet. And there's already corporate developers in trying to buy up freaking whole swaths of the property, you know, and, and people like you're, and I guess we'll circle, but it's a great place to circle back to finish on this is, and yada, 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 here you are, right? Your generation has watched this. Your generation has gone. I had Chris Titus, Titus, the comedian on a couple of weeks ago, or guys, a couple of months now. And he's, I, I had him on because he does a whole bit on, you should watch this, go to his website. Titus has a whole bit about how he stopped beating up on Gen Z and millennials being the trophy generation because you guys have gotten absolutely fucked. <laughs> You know, and, 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 and you see, it. and he says, Jesus, I'm just glad you're still here. And, and I say the same thing. I have two Gen Z kids. My two youngest kids are both of your, about your age, by the way. Uh, I think they are the same age. And, and my two, gen, my, what you've had to deal with between 9-11, the wars, constant war, the recessions and the, con, you know, and, and so circling back to why you are building leaders we deserve is just this, right? That you have got a gener, literally a generation that's just witnesses, by the way, a generation that's more diverse, more um, aware. And then throw in the one we don't talk about often enough and i have mentioned the show before is your generation has fucking plugged the fuck in with each other like no other generation before i talk the story all the time of my son at eight you know his best friend was in germany playing xbox live together it seems so small but your generation's worldview is a much much bigger worldview than say gen x like me um who my worldview was the how far my 10 speed bike would go um, so let's finish that with Leonard. Talk about uh, Leaders Reserve. How can we find out more about that? How can people get involved? Is there opportunities to get involved? Just tell me more and then I'll let you, I'll let you get on with your very, very busy day. Yeah, look, Fred, I, I just spent the past four years studying a lot of uh, world history and, and especially American history. And if there's anything that I learned from that is that great generations are not born. Great generations are created by awful circumstances. Yep. And, and just as an example, the greatest generation, when they were growing up, were said to be some of the dumbest uh, people ever. You know, it would be said like all they want to do is read comic books all day and just sit around and like read books and nobody really talks to each other anymore. And these people are so dumb. Our entire country is screwed. And they went on to defeat the far, the third Reich and Imperial Japan and save the world from fascism. Right. And it yep. wasn't just America. Obviously it was all of our international partners, yep. the Russians, a lot of people in Europe, obviously, uh, across the world that were part of that effort during World War II. But that generation did that because horrible moments, uh, you know, create, they find incredible leaps and they forge them. Yep. And that's why I have faith in our generation because we have grown up during school shooter drills. We've, gr we've grown up thinking about climate change. We've grown up thinking about mass incarceration. The fact that, you know, we live in a country where not everybody is treated equally by the law. And there's very few people in our generation who actually believe that in the first place, because we know it not to be true, because we've seen it on our phones from the death, the murder of George, George Floyd uh, to so many others. Right. And what makes me hopeful about our generation is we don't have the luxury of being like people like Ron DeSantis who are focused on stupid shit, like whatever the fuck woke is right. we have, because we've lived with the consequences of a failed and fa increasingly failing political and economic system that continues to benefit only the most powerful and the elite at the complete detriment of everybody in between uh, the middle class and lower class or people, class people. And our generation doesn't have, we don't have the luxury to focus on bullshit distractions, frankly, because yeah. we're dying of the consequences of the real things we need to focus on, like climate change, like gun violence, mass incarceration, and so many other things as well, including fighting these abortion bans as well. That is why I have faith in our generation, because even if right now we don't have all the leaders that we need, we're going to have the leaders that we deserve because our entire lives, we grew up in school alongside our ADCs, learning the mantra of run, hide, fight to survive a school shooting. And it's time for our generation to repurpose that. We need to start running for office and we need to stop hiding from the responsibility that we have to create a more perfect union 
for future generations where schoolhouses are schoolhouses and not slaughterhouses, where students are students and not forced student activists because their classmates died in a school shooting where they can just be students in the first place. And we need to start fighting for a future where politicians do their damn job and kids can just be kids Yep. in the first place. Well, and that's why we're doing this with the years we deserve. And yeah, if people yeah. want to support that work, we really need it monthly. So I'd ask everybody that's out there that can to donate $10 a month at leaders. We deserve com. It really makes a difference every day. Actually, I try to call up some of our, our small dollar donors. That. And just yesterday I, I called up one who's a veteran from Florida that donates $3 a month. Just call him and thank him. And the reason why he said he gave, you know, he's a grandfather. He said, you know, he believes in our generation to help create the mess that a lot of people in his generation made. But what I said too is, you know, we've also had great leaders in previous generations and we're working with them. People like Jamie Raskin, people like Chris Murphy, people like Jan Tchaikovsky and others who are on our advisory board. Cause this is not about our generation saving us. All of us have to save us and work together. And I'm proud to say that young people are obviously providing a lot of inspiration for that, but we need to take that inspiration and spread it to all generations and show them what Gen Z already knows, which is that change is possible. And we need to remind older generations that it still is, even if they, even if it hurts to get out of bed in the morning, right? <laughs> a little more than they did when they were younger. And if people want to support that, they can go to leadersredeserve.com. I love it. What a great place. Man, I enjoy talking. It's, it's been way too long until we finally got this opportunity. And uh, I hope it's not as long uh, next time. And uh, I, I love the mission you're doing. There's place, there's place for all of us. Uh, I love that this is a mission that augments a lot of other people. Uh, part of my frustration on the Democratic side is that we don't we don't do coalitions well. Uh, and so I'm thrilled to have another another fighter in the in the battle with us. So uh, good luck to you, man. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Our kids massacre at an elementary school. Our plan wildfire threatening homes and lives. Our freedoms. New laws banning abortion. Our democracy. Thousands storming the Capitol are all under attack. Far-right leaders in Washington and state capitals across the country are threatening everything we care about. But our generation refuses to back down. In 2018, we shattered youth voter turnout records. In 2020, we helped power President Biden to victory. And in 2022, we were critical in holding off a Republican red wave. Now, we're not just voting, we're running for office and we're winning. But we need to elect more of young, fearless progressives to Congress, and especially our state legislatures. Democracy is being lost at the state house and preventing us from having the future that we know we deserve to live in. That's why we're launching Leaders We Deserve, a grassroots political organization that will do just that. We need everybody, multi-generational, coming together to fight for the world we deserve. So many times in our nation's history, young people have led the vanguard of change. Join us as we build off that legacy and reshape the balance of power by electing more leaders we deserve. Man, what a great conversation. Uh, David is passionate. He is uh, he is good at what he does, and I hope you'll support them, leaderswedeserve.com. I'm very excited to learn more about what they're doing. You know, a lot of these groups start up, it's hard, but um, you can see why I have I have hope for this group. They've built a great team. They have a great set of advisors who are going to help them get there, so uh, check it out. You know, Trump got indicted again, as I mentioned. It's kind of like a broken record at this point. The indictments in Georgia, though, are very different. You know, Fonnie Willis and Fulton County aren't like these other jurisdictions. Um, you're not going to see anybody fawning over Trump down there. Uh, the sheriff already announced they're going to get his height weight. By the way, uh, go to my my Twitter or X or, or my Instagram. I'm actually running a contest to see what his actual weight is, because if you remember... Ronnie Jackson said he was 6'3 and I think 239 in 2018, which was met with great skepticism. <laughs> Needless to say, so join my that thing. But one of the interesting things, the way this is so different, and my, my friend Ron Filipkowski was a former guest, of course has his own show on the Myers Touch Network, uh, as well as on our, he's putting stuff out on our website. He put a piece in the Myers Touch website, MyesTouch.com, about how this how this is a very different, he, got, he has a great layout of the conspiracy. But you know, this is different. You know, there's, there's a tape of the call, okay? We've heard the tape of him calling up, looking for 11,000 votes. And another one that's different too is, there's real victims in this. Okay. I think a lot of the times we've we kind of blown off the Trump crimes, if you will, because they're somewhat, quote, victimless, right? That the documents, oh, they're top secret, but you know, nobody got hurt. Um, the the New York corporate case, you know, oh, well, that was just him giving money. He fudged his corporate records. Um, 
even the January 6th, the, 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 the indictment we have from Jack Smith for the January 6th doesn't get to the violence or anything like that. It's just mostly the trying to get the votes. Somewhat victimless, although I would argue they are victims. But how I, let's remember Shea Moss and, and, and Ruby Freeman, okay? They, they figure very prominently in this indictment in Fulton County. Okay, the pressure on them, sending emissaries to try and get um, them to confess to their crimes um, to the point where they had to flee their homes. Okay, if you remember, uh, 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 Shea and, and Ruby testifying before Congress was very, very powerful. Imagine those two ladies in front of a jury in Fulton County, Georgia, and you have to understand just how freaking scared Trump and his co-conspirators really should be. Uh, and they're going to be. Oh, and the icing on the cake is that Georgia is one of those states where the governor can't just pardon you. Um, it's There's a pardon board. And one of the things they stipulate is you actually got to serve your sentence. So they're not going to get out of jail free because they installed a Republican to cover their ass. So this is a very different one. But, you know, those are the wheels of justice turning. But are the wheels of politics meeting them? And I would argue that the wheels of justice and the wheels of politics aren't just on different vehicles. It's on a different road in a different fucking time zone. OK, <laughs> they're so different. But there is, again, I'm the hope guy around here, which is weird. I know. But here we are. And so uh, there's some pulling out. New York Times did a really great, well-documented report story a couple of days ago this week talking about the impact on Trump's campaign with all this. And, and, and there's no no surprises per se. His fundraising is through the roof. What I found fascinating though in that was his indictments and the way he's managed the announcements, the indictments and the fundraising. He has basically taken all of the oxygen out of the Republican race. You know, even the RNC was actually, believe it or not, it's hard to believe right now, but the RNC was somewhat distancing themselves from just endorsing Trump on everything as the primary season kicked off. So it wouldn't look like they, they stopped doing joint fundraising with him until the indictments came out. And now the RNC's back. Like, do you stand with Trump? And and so the oxygen of the Republican primary is gone. Look, you're going to see the horse racing. You're going to see all the people talking about it. You know, oh, Vivek Ramaswamy and his crazy, his whatever stupid fucking new ideas of the day. Um, Chris Christie's out there throwing hand grenades. DeSantis is hopeless. But let's be very, very clear. Um, this campaign, you know, I, I, as my friend Jeff Timmer says, barring his aorta doing what it should do, he's he's going to be the nominee for the Republican nominee. The uh, here's a poll for you right here. The latest uh, from um, Morning Consult shows Trump up 57 percent over the nearest competitor in this one, 16 percent. Ron DeSantis, uh, filed by Vivek and Pence, and 57 percent is a pretty big number. And then a new AP show. Now, now let's go to Hope. Okay, let's switch to Hope. Yes. It's having an impact nationally. AP poll finds that 35% of Americans have a favor, only, only 35% of Americans have a favorable view of Trump and 62% have an unfavorable view of Trump at this point. While, yep, seven in 10 uh, Republicans view him favorably. So there is a disconnect between the Trump, Trump passionate supporters and everybody freaking else. And we've always said that number is not as big as it needs to be for him to take national office. He did lose in 2020, clean. And I tell you what, with these numbers holding, um, I don't see it changing. Uh, if you go head to head, uh, you know, it, it's still early, but uh, Biden does beat Trump 43 to 41 uh, in the latest AP poll uh, against DeSantis. Uh, Biden's pulled apart by six points, uh, 43 to 7. Again, such low numbers. When you talk 43 and 41 as numbers, that means there's a whole lot of people who haven't committed. But when you talk about a 62% or plus unfavorable view of one of those candidates, you know, it says things. So, you know, contrary to popular belief, he's going to win, you know, and all I can think of is is this picture <laughs> from the finale of Dr. Strangelove or How I Love to Love the Bomb. And this is when Major King Kong, the, the B-52 pilot, rides the bomb into the Soviet Union. And that, to me, folks, is the perfect encapsulation of today's Republican Party, you know, waving their hat, shooting their six shooter, riding a nuclear bomb straight into the ground. Uh, where it will explode and emolliate all of them in a nuclear cloud. And that is what they're doing, supporting my friend Donald J. Trump. So as I mentioned earlier, I am still the national chairman of the Forgotten Democrats. Our goal is to keep up this fight. Our goal is to get more um, people to run for office at the congressional level. Our hope is that we'll, we can fund some Democrats. The, the least first, uh, our, our unique FEC model allows us to actually crowdfund your money amongst multiple candidates. The 75% of the money goes directly to candidates. Uh, we're not going to run any IE. We're not going to run the other 25% goes to doing things like, like my friend David just mentioned, 
supporting the candidates, helping them find good uh, support, giving them mentorship, the actual operationals. We will not be doing any IE campaigns. None of the money you give to forgot Democrats goes towards running ads. Um, I'm, I've, I've done that business and I'm out of it now. So um, we have a wonderful new Zoom. Our, our first town, our, our, our town hall, our second town hall is going to be next Tuesday. I've got, if you've watched the show for a while before I joined even Midas Touch, actually my first show on Midas Touch was Dennis Aftergut, who's a formal federal prosecutor. He's going to lay out all these charges against Trump and what it really means. He, you can ask him questions. Uh, you never get a chance to really ask my guests any questions. Uh, but with if you join our Zoom for Forgotten Democrats here on Tuesday, um, you can ask Dennis some questions in the chat and we'll, we'll, we'll get him some questions, as well as a wonderful candidate in Idaho named Kaylee Peterson, who's running for the second time in an incredibly, incredibly crazy district that'll have, she has some incredible stories to tell. So that's next Tuesday. Uh, uh, I, I hope you'll join us. It's the easiest way to get involved uh, and get hold of us. Of course, it goes to ForgottenDemocrats.org, but you can just text FRED to 33777. It's on the screen. Just text FRED to 3377. Follow the prompts. Get on our email list. You'll be notified of our town halls and all those things we do. I would love to have you part of that community. In the meantime, here on we are here on the Midas Touch Network. We're, of course, on my substack, fpwellman.substack.com. As always, I am still on X slash Twitter at fpwellman. On Instagram, we're having some fun, fpwellmanofficial. On threads at fpwellmanofficial. I would love you to have you come. As we say every time, like, subscribe, please share, tell your friends, show what this movement's all about. We're so proud to have you. If you're part of the Myers Touch Network or finding us elsewhere, um, like, subscribe, share, leave a great review, leave a comment. I read most of them. Um, I just I just love being a part of this community. I love you being part of our community here for On Democracy. I can't wait to see you next week. As always, we're supported by our friends at Vi Media, owners of Half Coast Studios, where we appear every week. Uh, VIE.media, they're a terrific organization for your digital fundraising or digital needs. And with that... I think we said a lot this. What a great show. I will see you next week. I'll see you on the Myers Touch Network. Check out all my videos in there and my hot takes. I've got one. Uh, I got some really good ones this week. So check out all of our videos on Myers Touch Network and subscribe. Hit that button. Talk to you next week.